Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. If you're looking for jewelry that makes an impact on your self-care routine and your style, Empowerography would love to offer you a discount code to one of our exclusive partners, Quartz and Canary Jewelry and Wellness Company. Please use code EMPOWER15 to receive 15% off upon checkout at www.quartzandcanary.com. Quartz and Canary is truly the place where spirituality meets style. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Cynthia Kane. She is a best-selling author and the founder of the Kane Intentional Communication Institute based in Washington, D.C. How are you doing today, Cynthia? Thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. You're welcome. Thank you. I'm doing great. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> it's an absolute honor and pleasure to have you on the show, and I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be here and share a bit about your story and your journey with us today. Yeah. So, Cynthia, you're an educator, an author, a certified meditation and mindfulness instructor, a certified breathing coach, and the founder of the Kane Intentional Communication Institute. How on earth do you prioritize and find the time to wear all these hats? <laughs> so what's fascinating about the work that I do is that they all feed into one another. Okay. Um, so with the work that we do in the Kane Intentional Communication Institute, it's really where we help you know, high achieving women experience more peace so that they can show up authentically in their most important relationships. And so to be able to show up authentically and express ourselves in a way that is kind, honest, and helpful and that we're heard, it requires the use of meditation, mindfulness, um, different breathing techniques, and so on. So the, the different hats all really point to being able to, you know, speak in a kind, honest and helpful way and to really become conscious and clear and concise with the way that you're interacting with others and really helping to improve relationships. So they're, they're different, but they are, they all lead to the same place. Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) That makes sense. Yes, absolutely. Now writing is obviously a huge part of your life, having written for multiple, multiple national and international publications and having written three books. When and how did your journey as a writer begin? So my journey as a writer began, being a writer was something that I always wanted to be. I mean, I remember being, you know, in fourth grade and having journals and writing poetry under my, I had a, a desk in my room and I would sit under my desk and I would write poetry. And there was this ideal I had in my mind really of becoming a writer. And so that was really my my focus for a very long time. And I went to, in undergrad, I focused on, you know, literature, English literature, though I never got into any of the creative writing workshops where I went to college, which was devastating for me. And then I, and then I went on to get my master's in creative nonfiction writing. And it's always been something that has just been so relaxing for me in the sense that it it really is a way to work through challenges, Mm -hmm. obstacles to be able to see clearly. And so really always had this kind of love affair with writing. And then I had tried for many years to publish and especially coming out of my MFA program. And what I, what kind of happened for me, I think was that growing up, there was such a focus on just being a writer. I had no clue as to what I wanted to write about. I just wanted to write. There was no real purpose or intention right? With what it was that I was focusing on. Right. And, and so it was just something that I did because I loved it. And then what ended up happening was that kind of, I mean, my whole life changed a lot. And I came into kind of this knowing of what I wanted to share and what I wanted to help others understand and potentially see. And that then gave my work purpose. And, And so 
then my work started getting out there more because I really believe that I, I knew what it was that I wanted to say, right? And so that's how uh, the work got out there more. And that was really kind of the, the journey to where I am today. And then it, you know, it just so happened that what I was writing about, which was really around communication and, you know, changing the way that we talk to ourselves and how we connect with others, that, you know, an editor at the publishing house that I, my books are published through now reached out and asked if I would be interested in writing a book. Wow. Yeah. So how and what was this awakening then, I guess if you call it, that came about for you that made you realize that you knew what you wanted, you finally figured out what you want to write about? Yeah, so I I had been with my first love for about seven and a half years. And okay. he his name is Mauricio mm-hmm. and he's from Costa Rica. And he and I decided kind of, we, we met in college yeah. and we grew up together and we decided that it was time for us to really kind of go our separate ways and believing and knowing that the universe would bring us back together at the time when it was right. And, you know, four years after we broke up, we were back together in New York. We had met up and we talked a lot about our relationship and we, our plan was to be in each other's life again and four months after that, he passed away unexpectedly. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, and my whole world, I mean, my whole world, it just went blank, really. And yeah. I was so empty and lost, and I really couldn't figure out how to be here in a way that was healthy or a way that was where I was enjoying being alive, right? And... So I went on this search and I went on this kind of journey to figure out how to enjoy my time here and not die along with him. And what I was learning and what I was figuring out were things that were changing the way that I was living. And Mm -hmm. so, I mean, for me, what was happening was I was just seeing how communication was such a big piece of what was missing in my life before in terms of just being very passive aggressive and judgmental and, you know, lashing out and having a lot of difficulty in silence and really needing to, to fill the space. And, you know, most of my, most of my relationships were uh, very reactionary. Uh And so what I was really learning was I was learning that to be here in this world and see the beauty and the joy and to have it be a friendly place and to, have the types of relationships that I truly wanted. Um, It was about how I was communicating. So then I started really becoming very interested in changing the way that I was interacting. And so I had, you know, on this kind of search that I was going through, a friend of mine had shared with me a writing and meditation workshop at the Shambhala Institute in New York. And I went that weekend and that weekend just, you know, it pretty much changed my world in that I learned how to meditate for the first time. And then I learned the elements of right speech in Buddhism. And so once I learned those, it was, and, and those are tell the truth, don't exaggerate, don't gossip and use helpful language. Mm-hmm. I thought, holy cow. Okay. Amazing. These are my guidelines. <laughs> like, let's make this happen. Let's do this. And then I woke up the next day completely blank on how to speak in a kind, honest, and helpful way. Right. And so that's really where my this lifestyle experiment began for me of trying to figure out how to do that. And so that's what I started sharing with others after I had figured it out for myself. And I started seeing things starting to move for me where I was no longer judging myself. I was no longer judging others. I was no longer comparing myself to others. I was able to, you know, be in really difficult moments and know how to move the emotion that was coming up instead of being led by my emotion. And so then I started writing about it because I thought, oh my gosh, like this, this is really amazing for me. And I'm not, you know, is this, is this only happening for me? Is this only something that can happen for me? And then I started writing about it and sharing it and then seeing that it's not only something that I can do, but it's something that so many others can do. And so that's really what the turning point for me was in, in so many ways was Mao passing away and really trying to figure out how to honor him too, because, you know, he, 
the way that he interacted with the world was just phenomenal. I mean, uh-huh. he was one of those people where you either loved him or you hated him, you know? Right. And he had this way of just living and being alive and being present. And there's like laughter and joy and he was so open. And so it just all seemed to kind of mix together where I was able to every day honor him through the way that I was able to show up in the world. Amazing. Turning your pain into power. Yeah. Now, I know that different authors have different creative processes when writing. Can you tell us a bit about your process when you, sit, when you decide to sit down and write? Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I would go so far as to say I, I, my process is very linear. I mean, I really, I really see an outline of a book first, and I see the you know, the headings, the chapter headings. And I know what's going to be happening within each chapter. And then for me, I truly just block out on my calendar. I just say, okay, this week is dedicated to the introduction. This week is dedicated to chapter one. These three days are dedicated to chapter two. And I write everything in order and I, I finish that way. And then what I do is then I go back and I add and I edit. And so my, my process is really I dump absolutely everything out uh-huh. and then I go back and I structure it and I make it readable, you know, and connect the dots. And, yeah. and I, that's really been how I, how I write. I mean, I do, I get up a lot. I go to the kitchen. I get a lot of, you know, like <laughs> I move Fuel. things around. I come <laughs> yeah. back, you know, I go outside, I come back or, yeah. but I often, I really enjoy writing in public places. Okay. Um, I have a hard time writing in my, like in my office space. Um, and solace and quiet. Yeah. There's something about being surrounded by people and that noise that, I, it's easier for me to think. And the other piece too, for me is I'm constantly surrounded by books when I'm writing. I'm just, there are so many books that I use depending for inspiration or, you know, going through kind of an MFA program. What I learned a lot of was to, I don't remember who said it. And I think it was maybe Picasso, but this idea of, you know, uh, stealing, I mean, I don't know what the, quote is. So I'm not going <laughs> to go there, but it's something around, you know, being able to kind of steal what you're looking at. And so when I see that, it's more, I look at the way that authors do what they do. So I look at a book and I see how, how they've gotten to point A or to point B and what examples that they've used and how they've weaved in those examples to prove their point. And then what I try to do is I try to see what they've done and implement that into my work as well. Right. Speaking of inspiration, you mentioned inspiration. Where do you pull your inspiration from when you're writing? Personal experience, my students' experience, day-to-day life. I mean, it really is so much of the work that I do and that we do is around day-to-day interactions and day-to-day living, basically like helping ourselves suffer less in our lives. And So for me, it's really important that the work that I'm doing and how I'm writing is grounded. And so it's really, you know, of, it's not abstract, it's not theory, but it's truly tangible that you could, it's almost as if, you know, you're reading, you can just grab the examples, you feel the examples, you know, those examples, and it's very simple and very practical. And it's really taken from, you know, the what I've seen, what I've experienced and the work that we do. What are some of the challenges you faced early on as an author and how did you overcome them? Well, I think the biggest, I mean, the biggest challenge is rejection in that, you know, I think that was like a, a running theme for me very early on with writing was really learning how to love rejection and in the beginning, it was very challenging because what it did was it questioned, it constantly had me questioning my value and right. it had me questioning, you know, whether this was really a path for me. I have a, I, in college, I, it was my freshman year of college and I took this course with uh, this professor 
and it was a poetry course. And I was so excited. He was a wonderful professor and all my papers that I would get back from him were just marked up, read everywhere. And, <laughs> you know, I try so hard every time to get that, like it, it was constantly a C. I would always get a C on my papers. And I remember I went to him once and I just said, you know, what is like, what can I do? Like, how, yeah. you know, and his response was, you're a nice girl, but you're not a good writer. Wow. And that destroyed me. Uh, no doubt. Like weeks, months. And it stuck with me for a really long time to the point where when I got my first book published, I wanted to dedicate my book to him. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. I'm sure you wanted to send him a copy and say, yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm not a good writer. But yeah. So I will say, you know, it is those, it is that rejection and it is those moments where I've been pushed back by people. It's not so much that it made me want to do it more. It's more that it made it that much sweeter that I continued to, to do what it was that I love to do and not let somebody else's opinion or thought dictate my path. Right. Yeah. How did you do that though? Like, how did you overcome that and, and come out the other side and, just continue because I mean it must have been soul crushing as you said it it stuck with you and it blew you away and you were affected by it for weeks and months so how did you come out the other side of it well I after that I so I went in wanting to major in you know English literature Mm -hmm. and creative writing and I this happened in the middle. It was the middle of the semester. I ended up withdrawing from his course. I actually, I couldn't handle being in the class after that. Yeah. And then I took the whole second semester and I didn't take any English classes whatsoever. No writing classes. I moved all the way into social sciences and I was like, this is what I'm going to focus on. I'm not going to write anymore. Right. I was really like to that place. And I was, I enjoyed psychology and I enjoyed, you know, learning all of what I was learning I didn't feel alive though with the work and what I wanted to do was write about what it was that I was experiencing and I wanted to you know sit outside in grass and just be with my journal and so there just came really a point where I realized that I wasn't going to allow someone else to to really shape my soul in that way right and it it then really became that more, I guess, that I did want to prove to myself that I could do this. Right. I knew, you know, I knew it, it was something that I loved so much that there had to be a reason that I loved it so much, right? Yeah. There had to be a purpose behind it. I didn't know what that purpose was yet, but there was a reason that it lit me up. And, and if I, you know, and if I would have just put it away, which I had done for that whole semester... I mean, it destroyed me. So I think just that experience alone was what made it really possible for me to just see that without this in my life, I was not who I wanted to be. Right? It didn't light your soul on fire like writing did. Yeah. That's amazing. What a story. Wow. That's incredible. What excites or inspires you the most about being an author and writing? I think it's really the, the connection right? The connection that you can have with others and to be able to share in a way that others feel that they aren't the only ones going through something or experiencing something that they're not alone. And that, you know, we're all really living separate from one another, but we have so much in common. And I think that that's truly what lights me up about it is the idea that, you know, you know, sometimes I'll look at just like the geographic regions of people who have read my books or, you know, in our, in the training program that we run, how people come to the training program a lot is through the, is through the books. And so, you know, to work with people who are in New Zealand or who are in France or who are in Mexico, or, you know, it's, it's amazing to think that language, you know, a book can Mm. be, I mean, it can be translated into other languages to think that, somebody could be sitting in their room reading a book that I've written or that anybody's written and they feel better, right? Like they feel closer to something. They feel not alone. They, again, it goes back to really this idea of suffering less. And I think that that's what I love about writing. 
That's got to be mind blowing and a huge sense of accomplishment. Like you said, to know that there are people on the other side of the world reading words that you put onto paper and it's resonating with them and affecting them and impacting them. It's so, it's very surreal too. I'm sure. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And it doesn't feel, I mean, I guess it doesn't feel that way, you know? Mm. Wow. I can't even imagine. That's, that's incredible. What what an amazing thing. What are some of your favorite types of books to read? I love self-development books. I like, um, I also love Buddhist books. I mean, I, I love philosophy and that, you know, really. So I went, the college I went to is a small liberal arts school called Bard college. And the tagline of Bard is a place to think and, that's really what I, those are the types of books that I love to read books that change my thinking or books that have me see the world differently or a topic differently. You know, even when it comes to, you know, it can really be anything. It can be business. It can be meditation. It can be, you know, all different topics and anything that I can read that just gives me a different perspective. I love. So. Which authors do you personally admire and look up to? So I, I mean, I really love Thich Nhat Hanh, even though he's not an author. I, I mean, he is an author, but he's a Buddhist monk. And so a lot of the, the well-known, I guess, Buddhist authors, I really look up to Pema Chodron. She's a American Buddhist, Tara Brock. She writes a lot on self-compassion and radical honesty and things of that sort. And I really, though, you know, when I think about, aside from that, what I, the authors that, and that I look up to the most are the ones who I gravitate towards nonfiction. Okay. So, so it's really about personal stories and personal transformation. And, you know, especially when I was going through after Mao passed away, I was just devouring so many books around so many memoirs around death, but like romantic love death, right? right? Or like there is a book by Elizabeth Lesser. She wrote Broken Open and it's incredible. And it's a, it's about her relationship with her sister. Or then there is Coming to the Edge and I don't remember, but it was about her relationship with one of the, the Kennedys. And it was, I mean, and then there was Just Kids by Patti Smith, you know, so... I don't know. There were memoir for me is something that I, I really love. And those authors really inspire me because they, they share their personal stories, their their truth and their experiences. Yeah. In the three books you've written, Cynthia, there's obviously a theme or common thread running through them. that is all centered around Buddhism. Why did you decide to focus your books around this type of theme? So really because Buddhism changed my life. Um, That one weekend, that one weekend at the Shambhala Institute that I was talking about, yeah. where I learned how to meditate and I learned the elements of right speech. And then I really started to cultivate this practice of communication, which is we call the Cain intentional communication practice. And it all stems from the elements of right speech in Buddhism. And so that's really how it all began. And so it's impossible for me really to talk about my life after Mao without Buddhist philosophy as a part of it. Can you talk to us a bit about the three books that you've written? Tell us about each one of them and when they were written, when they were published. Yeah. So the first book I wrote was How to Communicate Like a Buddhist. Okay. Um, And that was published in 2016 or 2015. April, 2016. Okay. And how to communicate like a Buddhist is really learning the elements of right speech in Buddhism. And how do you begin to take them as like these beautiful abstract concepts of just like, well, just speak in a kind, honest and helpful way. That sounds great, you know, (laughs) but how do you actually do it? And so what the book teaches you how to do is it teaches you how to do that. It teaches you a practice, which is the Cain intentional communication practice, right? right? To be able to do this. So you really learn how to 
become more of the person that you want to be in your relationships. You learn how to express yourself in a conscious, clear, and concise way. You learn how to pay attention to the sensation in the body when you're in those difficult interactions and not give over to it, but you know how to, to move it to the side to come back so that you can be helpful in your conversations. And it's really giving you the the general practice of how to you know, how to not necessarily be afraid of what the reaction will be of somebody else so that you can have difficult interactions. And it, it really teaches you how to speak in a kind, honest and helpful way. Right. Um, so that's how to communicate like a Buddhist, then talk to yourself like a Buddhist came out in 2019, no, 20, 2019 or 2018. I'm sorry. I don't have the, I don't know. That's okay. I have the book, right around me. I can just look at nothing, <laughs> but it's tw- 2019 and no, it was 2018. <laughs> Sorry. It's either one okay. of those. Okay. That's okay. Um, and so talk to yourself like a Buddhist is really about really this idea that the way that we talk to ourselves dictates how we live in the world, right? So if I'm waking up in the morning and I look outside and it's raining and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's raining. This is going to be a horrible day. The rest of my day is going to be horrible. But if I wake up and I look out and I'm like, oh, it's raining. How refreshing. The farmers must be enjoying it. You know, like we can go play in the puddles. That That's a whole nother way of talking to yourself in the moment that's going to change the way you show up in the world, right? And so talk to yourself like a Buddhist really teaches you how to talk to yourself in a way, not not that it's like, your biggest fan, but it teaches you how to talk to yourself in a way that's honest, kind, honest, and helpful and moving ourselves toward like the middle path of communication with ourselves, which is more objective, less judgmental. And that's a big piece of just how to, within how to communicate like a Buddhist, the first practice is learning to listen to yourself. And so learning how to talk to yourself differently is really important to be able to start, you know, showing up in your relationships and having those easy, more calm and peaceful interactions. Okay. And then the third book, How to Meditate Like a Buddhist came out in 2020, mm-hmm. April, 2020. Yeah. And How to Meditate Like a Buddhist, it really, it takes, you know, the topic of meditation and what I would say, it just boils it down into really easy, easy, simple steps so that you can just begin a practice, right? It's really tangible. It's really teaching you what meditation is, um, the benefits of meditation and how, you know, how to start meditating. And it debunks a lot of the myths that maybe people have around meditation. And it it's truly a book to get you, get you started and to potentially deepen your practice if you already have one. Excellent. Are you working on a fourth book now? So we have one in the works. Yes. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about it or no? I can't yet. No. Okay. Okay. No problem. (laughs) Are you a practicing Buddhist yourself? I practice Buddhism in that it is a philosophy that I live by. Okay. I don't personally see it as a religion. For me, it's more the way that I live my life. Mm -hmm. Um, But I've not ever taken vows, right? So, but it is... I mean, it's my morning, my noon, my night. It's my everything in the way that I show up in the world. Okay. Now, you're also a certified breathing coach. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a bit about that and how long you've been doing that? Yeah. So the breath coach uh, work has been maybe a, only about a year and a half now. And I got interested in it because within our interactions, it's really important to move ourselves out of that stress response. And so to be able to learn how to move ourselves from kind of that fight, flight, freeze feeling into more of the rest and digest, you know, meditation is really important, but then it's also having other techniques and practices that you can use throughout the day that aren't necessarily formal, a formal seated practice, which is why I think, you know, breathing is so beautiful and the practices within kind of breath coach work, they're very short, right? So you can do a five minute breathing practice throughout the day, three times a day, as opposed to necessarily, you know, carving out 
20 minutes to sit formally for meditation. Yeah. And the, the breathing practices are going to help you reach that same state of calm and ease that are helpful before, let's say you're about to have a difficult conversation so that, you know, you could use one of those practices before you're about to have a difficult conversation, go into a meeting, you know, go speak in front of large groups of people. Um, and then you can also use it afterwards to, to decompress from something that may have been more emotional or more difficult. So that's really, you know, what I find fascinating about the, the breathing practices themselves, because they're short, but what they show you is how easy it is to move yourself out of that stress state into a more uh, rest and digest state. That's pretty cool. What inspired you to become a breathing coach and meditation and mindfulness instructor? So the, the meditation and mindfulness instructor um, piece, so that for me started in 2014, 2015. I, I was really inspired because of how much it had changed my life. I, I really wanted to be able to share it with others and be able to show others a way out of suffering. And that was originally, you know, why I was really interested in it. And it then so happened that it, I mean, it really is a practice that is so important for communication as well. But for me, when I first got into it, it was because I was seeing so it's the first time that I was able to really sit with myself and allow myself to be myself without judgment. And that to me was the most powerful feeling. And it gave me the opportunity to feel everything that I was feeling when all I had done up to that point was push everything that I was feeling away. And so, especially after this time when Mao had passed away, you know, for so much of it, I was trying not to feel how I was feeling. And then to have this practice that was saying, go ahead, feel it, like be with it, sit with it. It's uncomfortable and all of it, but it's happening. And that to me was just so, it was so powerful and, there was so much freedom there that it started really changing how I was connecting. And so for me, it was, I really want to share this with other people. And then with the, the breathing work, it was the same, you know, I was just seeing how taking those short moments throughout the day was really helping me, you know, within my interactions with my kids and within my interactions with my husband and, you know, before big group calls and, being able to see that this was something that I really wanted to be able to share with others, especially for me, it's really all within the context of communication. Mm -hmm. And so to see the effects of it on communication was then something I really wanted to make sure that I, I understood more of like the science of what's happening and, you know, to just know what I can know so that I can share it. And share it with the world. Mm Mm-hmm. As mentioned earlier, you're the founder of the Kane Intentional Communication Institute. Can you talk to us a bit about that, what it's all about, when you founded it, and what your mission with it is? Yeah, so I founded it in 2015, right? 2016, 2015. And really what we do is, you know, we we help high-achieving women really experience more calm and peace so that they show up differently and authentically, right, in their most important relationships. And we help people move into a state of ease and peace um, so that they can be in, you know, difficult interactions and know how to navigate them. They can start speaking up for themselves and expressing their truth. They can start to connect with themselves in a non-judgmental way and also with their family and their friends and their children and their partner and at work. You know, it really teaches people how to create ease in their relationships and release a lot of potential, you know, shame and guilt and empowers them, you know, in decision making and, and all of it. So it's really, you know, learning how to speak in a kind, honest and helpful way and create the relationships that, you know, you really crave. Um, So you're speaking in a way that you respect. Right. Do the meditation and um, breathing practices and whatnot play into this as well? Yes. Yes. So the practice itself, it really, meditation is a big part of the practice because the way that we see communication is really different than the way that 
most people look at communication, right? Most people look at communication kind of in isolation where you need to maybe take a class on speaking or you need to take a class on listening. But for us, it's ho- it's really holistic in the sense that it's a process, meaning that, you know, when you see somebody who is having a really easy time expressing themselves and saying what they mean in a way that another person can hear, that's all you're seeing on the outside, what they're saying, but you don't actually know what's happening within them, right? You don't know how they're talking to themselves at that moment. You don't know the practices that they're using to pay, to potentially bring them back to the present moment if they're distracted. You don't know the practice to be able to see them, the person in front of them as maybe, you know, someone that they care for, even though in that moment they're upset with them, yeah. right? And so the way that we see communication is that it really is, it's a, it's a practice. It's not a learned skill, right? So most people think that because we know how to talk, we know how to communicate, but it's really not something we've ever been taught how to do. And so if you don't have a practice for it, you're really just kind of winging it and going off of gut instinct. And it's so much easier once you have a practice. And so a part of the practice is meditation because what meditation really helps you to do, it helps you to uh, learn how to access the present moment so that you can be, let's say, in, in confrontation or in difficult interactions. And instead of leaving and shutting down and getting passive aggressive and walking away, you're able to access the present moment and access yourself so that you can interact, right? So meditation really helps you access the present moment. It helps you be, you know, more responsive instead of reactive. And it helps you change your relationship to the thoughts that are going on in your head. And so, you know, so much of what happens in day-to-day conversations, especially when we potentially get triggered, is that in those moments, we're talking to ourselves in a way that creates more of the the back and forth that we don't want. Right. And so we get caught up in our thoughts and we get caught up in how we're talking to ourselves in that moment. And so what meditation helps us do is it helps us see, Oh, here I am. I'm completely caught up in this. It's distracting me. It's making things more difficult and moving this into hurtful territory. So now I'm just going to see if I can move that to the side and come back to the present moment. So meditation is a really big piece of it. And the same thing with the breathing practices too, because the whole, everything right now within communication that happens so quickly, right? Automatic Mm -hmm. responses. Like you don't know actually the pieces that are happening or why, why you're reacting in the way that you are and things just start coming out of your mouth and then you regret them and you know, Mm -hmm. all of that. And so, so much of the practice is learning how to slow your interactions down and Mm -hmm. to be able to do that is to learn kind of these mindful moments throughout the day and breathing practices is one of them. Amazing. Yeah. So for someone who doesn't know anything about meditation, hasn't meditated before, has a hard time quieting the mind, what would you suggest in order to get started with meditation? So I think it's just important to know like that thoughts are okay in meditation. A lot of people think that the point of meditation is to stop thinking and that's that's not true at all. It really is about sitting there and seeing your thoughts and just noticing all the thoughts that you have. And then, you know, when you're really caught up, meaning you're stuck in next week and what you have to do next week or like the laundry list or, you know, the emails that you have to send and you notice that you're there, then you get to say, Oh, thanks for sharing. Thanks so much. I'm just going to come back to what my point of attention is. Right. So I think that with that, it's just knowing that thoughts are okay in meditation. And then to get started, I often say to students that, you know, the best time to meditate is really in the morning. So because it sets the tone for your day. Right. And so if you can wake up, go to the bathroom, brush your teeth, come back and just close your eyes. And you can, you can start by just counting your breaths. So, you know, you inhale, exhale, one, inhale, exhale, two, right? And you can just count your breaths up to 10. And then if you get distracted and suddenly you're far away, you come back and you just begin again and you start counting over again with number one. Okay. And the other thing you can do also is just, just start your day with five long, slow, deep breaths. And you will really like, you will, you will be amazed at how long it takes to take five long, slow, deep breaths, (laughs) Um, but how much of a difference it makes after you've taken them. I'm going to have to try both of those things tomorrow morning. Mm -hmm. (laughs) To date. Cynthia, what would you say is your biggest high or your greatest win? My biggest high, is that what you said? 
yeah, your biggest hire, your greatest win? My biggest hire, greatest win. I would say, I mean, finding love again yeah. has been the biggest high and the biggest win for me. And then having two phenomenal little, little beings in this world, it's, there's nothing greater for me than that. What do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? (laughs) (laughs) These are good questions. Thank you. I think that what's helped me become successful is that I really focus on my own paper, meaning I really don't think about what other people are doing. And so I think that that's, (laughs) I know that sounds odd, but I really just focus on what I, what I feel that my purpose is here and what I want to share with the world and how I can do that. And I think that that's what's helped me. And I also believe that it's that I, you know, I'm really, I'm really good at helping people find their voice. Mm -hmm. I'm really good at listening um, to what's going on for people and being able to see what's causing them suffering and how they can move themselves out of it. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of success, how do you define the word success? What does that word mean? Success means alignment to me. It means living an aligned life in that, you know, you, the way that you walk through your day is the way that feels the best for you. That to me is really what success means. So it means um, having your insides match what's happening on the outside. You know, that's for me how I would define it. Yeah. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after learning it? So I think the most important thing was, is, is allowing things to be as they are. And, and I don't know if, I don't know how I learned this. I I think I learned it from, basically it was after Mao's death. And I think the question that I was asking myself all the time was why? Yeah. And so what I learned in that moment was that that is a question that I will not ever ask myself again, because what it did was it, it kept me stuck. There was no forward movement with that question. And so without that question in my life, I I'm just moving forward. What would you say is one of the best pieces of advice you've ever received? Well, I think there's probably two. I mean, my dad growing up, my dad would always, he'd always say patience and persistence are like the two keys to, to success, right? Like to, to getting what you want. And I, I really believe in that because I really believe it is about patience and persistence at the same time. It's, it's a balance. And then the other is I had done a tarot card reading, like when I was in, um, when I was in college and the last card that was pulled for me then was, I I don't know what the card was, but the, the woman said to me, move forward fearlessly. And that to me has been something that stuck with me every day. And that to me is like phenomenal advice. Yeah, those are great words to live by for sure. And so, I mean, patience, <laughs> that is such an incredibly tough thing to learn, but it is so ne- necessary to life mm-hmm. with everything. Every, I mean, being an entrepreneur, you've got to be patient. Mm-hmm. It's just so integral to life. Yeah, it really is. What makes you feel inspired or like your best self? My kids. I love, like, I love playing with my kids. Yeah. And when I see them, they make, like, they make me want to be my highest self so that I can model that behavior for them. What was a turning point in your life and how did it affect you? I think I've had many, I think, I mean, the biggest turning point for me was really when Mal passed away. And I mean, it changed my entire life. In, in that my, you know, the way I see my life is that there's life before Mal passed away and then life after Mal passed away. And they're very different lives. And oh, there, there's a nice ambulance here <laughs> coming by. I'm going to send them a lot of love and light as they pass. Yeah, I mean, that to me has really been the, the turning point. I, my life would be very different now if that had not happened. Yeah. What does the word empowerment mean to you, Cynthia? The word empowerment to me 
means light. When I think of empowerment, I think of people who have tapped into like the lightness within that shines and they allow that light to continue to be seen. That's what empowerment means to me. Beautiful. What would you say is one of your favorite quotes? My favorite quote is, do you want to be a prisoner of your past or a pioneer of your future? That's a Deepak Chopra quote. And that that's just something I constantly come back to when I'm making decisions or if I'm, you know, kind of talking to myself in a way that's not helpful. Mm -hmm. um, that quote helps me a lot. I love that. That's a great quote. What is one of your favorite stress reducing activities? Meditation is definitely a stress reducing activity for me. Also hiking. I love hiking, getting outside, being in nature. To me, I could just like basically go out into my backyard and lie down on the grass and just have the sun, <laughs> you know, feed into my body and I would be, that would recharge me for sure. <laughs> What's the first thing you do when you wake up? First thing I do when I wake up, I stay in bed when I wake up with my eyes closed and I run through what I'm grateful for. And then I set my intention for the day of how I want to show up in my interactions. And then I get going basically. Okay. We're going to jump in and do a little rapid fire section here. So the next okay. few questions would be one, two, three word answer type things. Okay. Okay. Let's go. <laughs> First thing you think when I say the word future. Love. How would you describe yourself in one word? Oh. How would I describe myself in one word? Helpful. If you were stranded on a deserted island, you could only have one item. What would it be? Uh, towel. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. All right. <laughs> That's just what came to me. <laughs> hey, whatever. <laughs> it came to you. <laughs> that is hilarious. What's the first thing you notice about a person, Cynthia? Oh, wow. The first thing I notice about a person is their eyes. If you could teach the world one thing, what would that be? Oh, I'd teach the world how, <laughs> I'd teach the world how to um, communicate in a kind, honest, and helpful way. What's one thing you want but cannot buy with money? One thing I want but I cannot buy with money. Yeah. Peace. Entrepreneur life is? Mm. Entrepreneur life is a puzzle. Ah, I like that answer. I've never had that answer before. If I had an extra hour a day, I would. I would take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> the last book or podcast I listened to or read was? The last book I read was How to Love by Thich Nhat Hanh. If you could change one thing about the world, what would you change? Mm. If I could change one thing about the world... I would change. What would I change? If I could change one thing about the world, what would I change? I would change the way that people connect with one another, really. Like I, I'd want to change the, the way that people see one another and that if everybody could just see each other as someone that they want to care for, that would be amazing. And that concludes our rapid fire section. Okay, that was Hard, I'm like, my hands are gripping the desk. Like, okay. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like what's coming to me? What's happening? Cynthia, <laughs> what is your personal motto? My personal motto is detach, trust, and receive. Love it. If you could set up a billboard anywhere, where would you put it? And what would it say? <laughs> I could... These aren't rapid fire questions. No, these aren't rapid fire questions. Okay. So I would put a billboard up in, in Spain, like on the highways, because billboards are not, it's actually illegal to have billboards in Spain. You don't, mm -hmm. you don't see them. So I would put one there, although it would be illegal. And what would be on it? Um, I think the only thing that would be on it would be like two people hugging. Okay. What is the most recent investment you've made in yourself? Mm, this is an interesting question. So in myself, so what's interesting, because the first thing I go to is business. And I think that's because I think of my, my business and I are so connected. Yeah. Um, mind, right? Yeah. So the last investment I made for myself was I just booked a weekend away at a resort in May for two nights. Sounds yeah. <laughs> 
hey, you got to do things for you. You have to invest in yourself. Otherwise, yeah. you're, you're not showing up authentically and as yourself for, for others. Exactly. I, I truly believe that. 100%. As, as they say, when we're sitting on a plane waiting to uh, taxi down the runway, when they're talking about the safety precautions, put your own oxygen mask on first before you help anybody else. It's so true. Yeah. Yeah. If you could step into my shoes, what would you have asked yourself that I didn't ask you? I feel like you've done a phenomenal job. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <sighs> Who in your life has had the biggest impact on you and why? How many people have had a big impact on me? I mean, the professor in oh, my yeah. freshman year, he had a big impact on me. For Mao, sure. I mean, Mao had had it he had a big impact on my life, my, my dad. I mean, gosh, I, I don't think I could have just one person. Yeah. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? The piece of advice would be like, just continue doing what you're doing because what you're doing is the way. Lastly, if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? The last 30 seconds would sound like the world is beautiful the world can be ugly and it's up to you to learn how to balance the two to enjoy it beautiful cynthia thank you so much for taking the time to be here today and share a bit about your story and your journey it has been an incredibly beautiful conversation inspiring educational i've thoroughly enjoyed it thank you so much i appreciate you and all the work you're doing and all the goodness and the light you're putting out into the world. I think it's amazing. So thank you just for being authentically you. You're welcome. I appreciate the opportunity to, to share and to connect. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Cynthia Kane. She is a best-selling author and the founder of the Kane Intentional Communication Institute based in Washington, D.C. Thank you so much, Cynthia. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. You too. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.